hit it. Thank you, Sean. So uh, I thought I'd just start by talking a little about the so-called homework. <laughs> it's got a bad connotation, homework, you know, school, all that stuff. But anyway, um, I'm trying to kind of keep the homework to, to no more than two pages, like front and back, so that, I don't know, easier that way. Because I could really go on and on <laughs> with this. Uh, but of course, that's the point of this book, too. Most of the stuff that's on here, maybe all of it, is, is in the book. So, um, so uh, first, uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, so what I'm doing is trying to kind of just give you some things to work with during the week. And it's certainly not meant to be. Um, a task, but um, just more some more suggestions because um, you know if we're doing this for six weeks, I think I may have said something about this last week. You know, if you're just coming here for two hours a week, it's really not uh, that much uh, you're getting out of it. So I think the point of this, to me, the point of this is for us to kind of go through the steps together and and uh, look at some of these different questions. So each week I'm trying to give uh, some, a little bit of guidance around meditation. And so the practice that I'm suggesting here is the one I'm going to guide you in tonight, the noting practice. Um, And then, uh, you know, just picking out some themes from the steps. Um, And so the theme for step three I'm saying is acceptance and uh, and then step four, honesty. and then I like to give some suggestions for additional reading. You know, uh, certainly, uh, I think Karen Armstrong uh, has written some of the most intelligent stuff about about the idea of God. Uh, it really cuts through a lot of the um, sort of uh, way, ways that God has kind of become uh, uh, captured by sort of a right-wing or fundamentalist view of, of God uh, that really misses, I think, the more traditional understanding from the viewpoint of a, of a theological viewpoint. Um, and then I mentioned uh, Sam Harris's The End of Faith, because I think that's a, a really good book uh, in terms of kind of challenging uh, some of the problems with, with blind faith or religious faith. And then because I'm talking about the hindrances, I just mentioned that pretty almost any Buddhist book you pick up is going to have something about the five hindrances. So um, certainly uh, I think all three of my books cover the hindrances and, and people like Jack Cornfield and all, all those people usually do. And then I'm you know, always suggesting attend your, your 12-step group or uh, attend another meditation group. So... Um, So I, then uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is just how, um, you know, this is a six-week course to cover 12 steps, and you might expect that then we'd cover two steps a week, but that I don't find that that's a really uh, workable approach because I think certain steps really require much more time. Um, and certainly uh, we have arrived at, at some of them, particularly step three. And I, and I consider step one, step three, step four to be where a lot of the time is spent. Uh, and, of course, step five is kind of part of step four in a sense because you're, if you don't know the 12 steps, and I'm just throwing out these numbers, I'm sorry. So um, step four is taking the searching and fearless moral inventory, and then step five is sharing that inventory with someone. So that's, those are kind of paired. And step six and seven are also paired. Step six is uh, we were entirely ready to have God remove our defects of character, and step seven is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Uh, of course, we'll address that him question, among others. And then eight and nine are steps that are about amends. So those kind of pair up pretty easily. And in fact, uh, I see step four, the inventory through step nine, the amends, as being part of a one 
one process, the kind of house cleaning process. And I, and I put them together in both this book and in One Breath at a Time in terms of kind of a, a section of the book, uh, the investigation and responsibility section. Um, and then the last three steps uh, kind of have another a quality of kind of the, the ongoing process that, that we kind of adopt as our continuing practice, our continuing education. Um, so, uh, um, so tonight I'm going to uh, cover step two and then get into step three, but I think we'll probably do more on step three and then start on step four next week, which is why I give you homework for steps three and four for next week. But we shall see. I, I try not to make promises about what I'm going to do, just sort of give a uh, you know, basic general idea. So maybe um, I should uh, ask um, if anybody worked with the homework from last week, which I should have in front of me, but I don't. So, is anybody? Yeah, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear about any of your experience doing that, if there was any anything that came of that, uh, or anything of value that you would be willing to share with the group. I'm looking at you, Nancy. Oh. Well, you've got your name tag on, you raise your hand, you know. just becomes really easy to call on people now. I like that. If you were all sitting in alphabetical order, that would be even better. But, uh, are you willing to say something? Well, yeah, I'll go ahead and say something. Would you mind taking the microphone? I'm, I'm sort of tethered here. So. Well. Um, well, um, <laughs> I, I kind of just did it right before I came here. And, um, Cramming, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fine, fine tradition. <laughs> the procrastination thing. Mm -hmm. But I had just had a therapy session mm -hmm. and an EMDR thing about trauma, so it was, mm. it's been quite a day. Mm. And a so, um, but it's good, you know. I, I really enjoyed, actually, the second step homework where it was talking about you know, your religious history. Mm -hmm. It was actually kind of fun to go through that. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of memories associated with it, too. Mm -hmm. But then when I got into the faith part, it was on a much deeper level because it was actually having me take a look at, ooh, what was going on with me at that time mm -hmm. when I was being judgmental of all those people who were so silly to think that way. Mm -hmm. And right. things like that. Yeah. So um, yeah. it, I enjoyed the process. Good. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. The the um, for me the purpose of looking at the spiritual history is to see how our well one of the purposes is to see how our beliefs are conditioned. That is to say, there you know there's things that we learn and we're taught and we're influenced by. And then we create these beliefs, you know. They're just, I mean, faith is basically like an opinion, you know. What I mean? And, and um, so that maybe we can hold our beliefs a little more lightly. I mean, for instance, you know, a, a lot of things that, for which I don't have answers, which at one time I would have said either I believe in that or I don't believe in that. Nowadays I'll just say, I don't know. You know, and that, that's a lot easier. I mean, something like reincarnation. Like, I don't believe in that, and I don't not believe in it. I don't know. So, but, but in a way, so religion seems to at times sort of demand that we take a stand, you know. Do you either believe in God or you don't? It's like, that's even a word like God, it's like, well, what does that mean? You know, when, when I was a kid, it meant one thing. Now it means something completely different to me. So all of that, that whole evolution... Seeing that it's not, and it, that it's maybe continuing to evolve, and maybe next week I'll have another belief, and that's okay. You know, not to, and that's why I don't get tattoos, as I may have mentioned. You know, because you never know. Sorry. Yeah, you were going to say something. No, you just no, want, you just wanted to hold the microphone. 
<laughs> you like the microphone? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm volunteering. I'm gonna, oh, there's someone uh, the someone raising their hand back there. Okay. The, the thing, you know, it's being recorded, so it helps people who might listen to it. Like, what was the question? Testing. Okay. Yeah, I got the answer. So if, if you say, well, I just don't know, you oh. know, which is the, the case with me, so many of the steps, you know, turn your will and your life over, you know, yeah. to the care of God. And, and you know, it's just, it seems based on that. So if, if you just, how do you turn your will and your life over to I don't know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have an answer to that? Asked if you would repeat that. Yeah. Well, in the 12 steps, it doesn't actually say just God. It says God and or whatever your beliefs are. It's not those words exactly, but it's as not necessarily God. Yeah, yeah as you understand Him or God in general. So it could be anything. It could be your dog. It could be, you know, your house, whatever. Well, I'm certainly going to uh, talk about some ways of understanding these these God steps uh, that we can that don't involve belief in a supernatural being or creator God so that that's definitely going to be part of the curriculum <laughs> all right well thank you for uh, for uh, being involved. So, um, the what I'm going to um, do in the guided meditation tonight is introduce you, and you may know this practice, but uh, in, in any case, introduce the practice called noting, which comes out of uh, the Vipassana tradition. Vipassana is the word that we translate as insight, and and so these days we use the word insight a lot more. And, and in fact, Spirit Rock has recently rebranded themselves, if you happen to notice, as Spirit Rock Center and Insight, what is it? Spirit Rock and Insight Meditation Center, something like that. You look in their website, you'll see. It's a very subtle shift. Uh, and uh, because they're, over the past, mm, couple, I guess, decade and a half probably, maybe a little longer, many centers have grown up that, that are calling themselves Insight Meditation Centers, and it's kind of like we've kind of found our brand. Anyway, I'm digressing in my usual fashion. So Vipassana is what we used to call this <laughs> before it became Insight Meditation. Uh, so I, this goes back 35 years for me. Um, and the practice of noting, which is more to the point here, uh, it kind of comes out of a Burmese uh, tradition that was uh, kind of popularized, at least we, we know most from uh, one of their great teachers named Mahasi Sayadaw. And you will hear people like Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein talk about Mahasi Sayadaw. And, and actually, if you want to see a picture of a Mahasi Sayadaw, there's one up in the Gratitude Hut. If you don't know, there's up this road. You're not allowed to go up now into the retreat center, but if you go right to the end of this road back here, on your right, there's a little hut, and it's got pictures of many of the uh, Spirit Rock teachers and then their teachers. And so there's pictures of Ajahn Chah and Mahasi Sayadaw and many other of the great Asian teachers as well as Western teachers. It's kind of a really sweet little place to go into and just reflect on kind of, it's, it's the uh, gratitude hut. So, uh, so Mahasi uh, passed on this practice that's very systematic and uh, it gives us a very specific way of doing our meditation, which I think is a very useful practice to learn. I don't think that everyone will find it to be the practice that they want to continue to do um, indefinitely, but I think it's, you'll find that it's very useful to learn it and to understand it because it's really pointing to the kind of precision 
that we want to bring to our attention in mindfulness. Because when we're practicing meditation and practicing mindfulness, and we say, you know, when your mind wanders, notice where your mind is gone, or acknowledge that, and then come back to the breath. It can be pretty vague in terms of what we really do observe and what we really do notice. So with the noting practice, we're asked to actually make a mental note of what it is that we've observed. Um, and there are, this would typically be something like, first of all, that you'd be, as you're following your breath, you're making the mental note in, out. Very simple. That's if you're following the breath of the nostrils. If you're following the breath of the belly, it's suggested that you say rising, falling. In any case, it's just some words that help you to be to sort of acknowledge and point to the fact that I'm paying attention to my breath, and that's what I'm experiencing right now. And then when you, if, if by some wild chance, your mind wanders for a brief moment or for half an hour, whenever you notice that you're thinking, you make a mental note that can be as simple as thinking. And for some reason, the teaching is to repeat it, so to go thinking, thinking. I th- one, of the, w- one of the things that happens when you repeat it is that it kind of cuts through. You get, okay, right, thinking, thinking. Not in a mean way, like a nice way. Uh, cutting through it with a nice bread knife. Um, and then coming back to the breath. So there's really acknowledge. okay, thinking is happening, not just, oh, whatever, in coming back, but thinking is happening. Now, this noting can be refined to be more precise about what kind of thinking is happening. So so one of the ways to do that, one of the ways that I find really useful, and that's very much in alignment with the fundamental Buddhist teachings, is to note whether the thought has a quality of wanting or a quality of aversion or not wanting. So if it's, so for instance, if you're thinking about uh, your vacation or looking forward to this weekend, that's a thought of wanting. And you might call it planning, but just in a generic sense, you could just call it wanting. If you're thinking about how annoying something is, uh, you know, that somebody's stomach beside you is rumbling, and you get you know, like, why, you know, they should have had dinner, or whatever, you know, that, oh, that's aversion, that's not wanting, that's not liking. So we just, it, this gives a very simple way of categorizing thoughts, and it's actually one of the things the Buddhists kind of talked about that he did in his practice before he became enlightened, that he divided thoughts into these kind of, well, it's more complicated than what he did, but anyway, that's, it's, it's kind of, um, I'll just say it's similar to what he did. I wasn't there, so I don't know. But, um, so I'm going to suggest that you try this practice tonight, and that you keep, keep it fairly simple. So if, the, you, you would also note, you know, if there's a loud noise, or a soft noise, just a noise that pulls your attention, you can just note hearing, hearing. You know, if there's a sensation in the body, you know, that you've, that's taking your attention, you can call it feeling or sensation. So you just, you just identify what it is that your mind is aware of right now. And then each time, of course, you just come back to the breath, in, out, or rising, falling. It's very simple and systematic. Um, and so, so try it. And I, I will, I'm essentially going to, everything that I've just said, I will repeat as guided instruction. But I like to kind of explain it a little bit while people are kind of with their eyes open and a little more alert. Because sometimes once my voice starts to drone on, people start to... <laughs> All right, so... Just settling into your meditation posture.
want to sit in a way that we can remain still to the best of our ability. So, finding a way to be relatively comfortable and gently closing the eyes or if you're more comfortable keeping some light coming in, you can just lower your gaze, just taking the attention out of the visual field. And we'll begin as usual with some conscious and intentional relaxation and deepening awareness of the body. Relaxing the muscles in the face, letting your jaw relax. Softening the eyes, relaxing the forehead. Moving the attention down to the shoulders, letting the shoulders relax, release. Softening the belly, releasing any tension there. Letting the chest be open, the lungs have plenty of room to expand. Relaxing the legs and feet. As we bring our attention into the body and release any holding, sometimes there's a shift in perception to a sense of the body being more dense, heavier. Sometimes it feels lighter, more spacious. Or you just might notice all the qualities of energy and sensation that are present in the body. Ordinarily, we ignore most of the sensations in the body unless they become very pleasant or very unpleasant. So this is a time when we open to a whole range of sensations, many of them neutral, but all of them happening at once in the body. Every part of the body is sensing. It's possible actually to feel sensation in virtually every point in the surface of the skin. as well as a whole range of sensations that are more internal. So this increasing awareness and sensitivity to the body is one of the benefits and values of mindfulness practice. It's actually a a health benefit. 
and we can feel our body more clearly, we tend to take better care of it. And we tend to have a better idea what it's calling for, what it needs in any moment. So many of us put great demands on our bodies, pushing ourselves, not resting enough or not eating really in the most healthy way all the time. And then there's the stress of our lives. So taking some time to relax and soften the body open to what it's saying to us. It's really a gift to ourselves. A very healing for the body. Well, now let the awareness of breath come into the foreground of your attention. You might still feel the rest of your body in the background, but letting the breath really take center stage in your awareness. Oh, either following and paying attention to the breath at the nostrils where the air comes in and out, that touch sensation, or else following the breath at the belly as it rises and falls. So as you begin to follow the breath, starting to note the breath. If you're following the breath at the nostrils, just noting in, out, with each breath. Now the words are soft, the back of the mind. The sensations very much in the foreground. Or if you're following the breath at the belly, usually suggested that you use the words rising, falling. Whatever words depict this experience for you. Again, the words are soft in the mind. The sensation of movement of touch. In the foreground. It's natural for the mind to wander. 
even as we try to pay attention to the breath. So whenever you notice that you're caught up in thinking, just in that moment, see if you have a sense of whether the thought has a quality of wanting or a quality of not wanting, or a positive quality or a negative quality, or you might say a grasping quality or an aversive quality. And just take a glance at the thought. And if it's not clear right away which side the thought falls on, just come back to the breath. If it is clear, you can just make the soft mental note wanting, wanting, or aversion, aversion, or desire, and aversion, whatever words fit and then come back to the breath. Or you might just note thinking, thinking, if that's easier. All of this is just, just help us to be more precise in our attention. Really recognize, oh yes, I'm thinking, or I'm I want that, I'm planning that. I'm thinking, I, I regret doing that. Oh, just noticing that. Not adding a story or an analysis, a calculation, or a judgment. Just the simple truth that we can see. And then coming back to the breath. And when we come back to the breath, it's like starting meditation again. A clean slate. Okay. Breath. In. Out. Sensation. Breath.
stay awake and alert, noting moment by moment where the attention is, whether with the breath or a thought, a sensation or a sound. Just gent gently tracking that with soft words in the back of the mind.
sometimes as the sitting goes on, you might become uncomfortable in just a general state of aversiveness, resistance, and kind of come over us. And just again recognizing that, seeing, okay, that's what's happening right now. This is difficult, or this is unpleasant. I don't like this. Or you might experience it as a wanting, a wanting for the meditation to end. Really desire and aversion we come to see are really inseparable.
Okay, so we have a couple of minutes um, for questions about practice, particularly if you have any questions about working with that noting practice or anything else, any challenges, difficulties. Yes. My mind would start wandering, and mm-hmm. um, I just don't know what to do about the falling asleep. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's very common, and uh, it's one of the five hindrances, which you can look at this week. <laughs> um, you know, in some sense, the great challenge and of meditation is is balancing our energy and and. And in fact, it's kind of when our physical energy gets balanced, our mental energy tends to also come into balance. So they're very tied together. Um, you know, our, first of all, our bodies are kind of programmed that when we close our eyes and relax, it must be time to go to sleep. And that's kind of what, what we typically do. So it's, there's just that natural response to that. And then there's just the additional element of that most of us are not well rested. Um, so, so it just kind of, it's part of the process. And the starting point of working with anything in this practice is to just become aware of it. And not to just, to, first of all, to know that it's happening, but also to try as best you can to experience what it feels like, which is somewhat counterintuitive when it comes to sleepiness, because sleepiness is about shutting out and becoming uh, unconscious. But we can start to notice the experience of it. And actually, just by getting interested in it and applying our attention to it, that can sometimes help energy come back in the same way that if you're, you know, if you're in a class at school and, and the teacher is talking about something that you find boring, that you get sleepy. But then if some, suddenly the topic becomes something you're interested in, that all of a sudden your mind will, will perk up. So, so our level of interest really has a lot to do with our level of energy. So, of course, the breath isn't very interesting. You know, it's very neutral. So, it's, it's, so the, one of the challenges of practice then is to get interested and, and to sort of what one of the sort of underlying um, implicit uh, ideas of practice is that everything is interesting if you pay attention to it. Fritz Perls, who's the founder of Gestalt Therapy, famously said, Boredom is the lack of attention. That is to say, it's, everything is interesting if you pay attention to it. You're only bored because you're not paying attention. So, and sleepiness and boredom um, you know, are very much tied together, right? So it's just to, arousing a certain amount of interest is really the starting point in seeing what does it feel like to be sleepy. And there's also a certain amount of just acceptance, of like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. You know, I didn't get enough rest or worked too hard or, you know, I drove out here and I was in a hurry and now I get here and there's a letdown. And just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to be spacey. And we don't like it, right? So what happens is that we're sleepy, which is one of the five hindrances, and then we don't like being sleepy, which is aversion, which is another of the five hindrances. So now we've got two going. Right. And we might be judging ourselves, I shouldn't be sleepy, what's wrong with me, I'm not a good meditator. And so we're just kind of piling on. So a lot of this practice, again, is just kind of taking things apart, removing all the surface problems, and just, okay, what's really happening? Well, there's sleepiness. You know, it's not a crime. Um, now, and then traditionally there are antidotes. Sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, you know. Uh, the, the traditional antidotes are to sit up straighter, so strengthen your posture. It's one of the reasons why people sit 
you know, in, in lotus posture, because that kind of keeps you awake. It, it, it forces you to hold your body up, and there's a certain amount of kind of tension or, or sometimes even sort of a, a slight discomfort that then kind of keeps, your, keeps uh, the body energized. Um, so sitting up, taking some deeper breaths, and usually what I do is I open my eyes. And that's really, uh, uh, if I'm really falling asleep, if I open my eyes, it usually will, uh, it, within a few minutes, the, kind of there will be a shift in energy. But if you pay attention to it, you'll see that it's impermanent. You know, this is one of the key teachings about everything in Buddhism. That, you know, because there can be a feeling like, oh man, I'm falling asleep, like I'm just going to fall asleep. You know, and what happens is, you know, you kind of go into this, this slough, that's S-L-O-U-G-H, and then you can come, kind of come out of it. That, so sometimes meditation itself gives us a kind of rest, that, and it kind of is saying, you know, you need a little rest, and so you kind of nod out, and then you kind of, if you, if you keep sitting, if you don't say, oh, well, I guess I'll go lie down and go to sleep, but if you actually try to sit through it, the energy will kind of come back and, and become more balanced. Um, yeah, so it's really, it's really integral to the whole practice. And I'll, I'll say that the other thing to, reason to be particularly aware, trying, trying to be very aware, is to notice the first arising of sleepiness. So when you first start to get, when your head just first starts to tip, where the mind just starts to get blurry, Kind of go up oh, sleepiness, and that's when the antidotes can be most useful. Because if you're down here, it can be too late. You know, but if you're kind of tipping, it's like, oh wait, let me take a breath, open my eyes a little bit, and I'll just look at the floor and just okay, sleepiness. And then you can kind of well, what's that feel like? Oh, my eyes feel heavy, or my shoulders, or something. So work with it. It's good practice. The other question about the thoughts. Mm. That's what we're doing, right? I mean, that's why, you know, the phrase that I heard, the sec- a second, my second meditation retreat, it was a sh- just a three-day weekend retreat over President's Weekend in 1981. It was in a monastery in Los Angeles. And uh, I just remember so clearly sitting there and struggling as I had been really in my practice ever since I'd been practicing for about six months doing Vipassana. And and out of the silence, in the middle of the sitting, one of the teachers just said, it's natural for the mind to wander. And that was really made a big shift for me to realize, okay, what's happening isn't a result of me being a bad meditator or there's something wrong with me or, uh, you know, this isn't working. It's, it's natural for the mind to wonder. What I'm doing is unnatural, trying to not think. Um, and that's why almost every time I teach meditation, I, I, I would go so far as to say my intention is to every time I teach meditation that I say that. So you'll, you'll hear it from me if you come back. It's natural for the mind to wander. That's a starting point, you know, and then, uh, you know, working with that. What I think is most important about thoughts in meditation isn't to stop thinking, but it's to change our relationship to thoughts. So that instead of believing thoughts, we're observing them. We're seeing where they come from. We're seeing their conditioned nature. We're seeing their impermanence. We're seeing their transience. Well, I guess that's redundant. We're seeing their insubstantiality, that they're just like these things. Just all of that, we're looking at them as objects. So that shift in relationship from, you know, normally our thought is sort of, you know, according to, to um, Stephen Batchelor, the great English Buddhist teacher, in uh, his book, Buddhism Without Beliefs, he says, the ancient Greeks believed that thoughts were the, wor- were the voices of the gods in their mind. And that's kind of our typical relationship to thoughts, you know. Well, it's 
that's, I'm thinking it, I must do it. It must be true, you know. So it's kind of like that's God, right? So to, to shift that relationship to, oh, it's just stuff. It's just words. It's just conditioned responses. Uh, I, I think that's what's more important, as well as exploring somewhat the uh, psychological underpinnings and the patterns of thought. One, this practice we did tonight, desire and aversion, is one of the ways we can see the patterns of thought. You can see that you'll start to notice that you have types of thoughts that you tend to think, and even the same thought over and over. That's kind of a, you know, obviously talking about our relationship to thoughts is always going to be a, you know, a topic as we discuss this. So thank you for your question because you probably asked the question that covered about three quarters of the people in the room probably. So maybe if there's one other question. Yes. There are two switches. They both have to be on. I was just wondering, could you describe kind of the <clears throat> a little bit about when you reach that state? Because let me explain a little bit. When you reach a state where you can experience the meditation mind and then all of these other pieces at the same time, does it feel kind of like multitasking in a way? Like when I meditate in the middle of this, I started to have an experience where I could focus on my breath and hear things and think things all at the same time. And I'm just wondering if that's what we should be. I mean, should, maybe is not the right word. but Yeah, well, well first of all, you, you actually, you do all those things. The difference, you do all those things all the time. You, the difference is that what, you, what, what happened to you was that you were aware of those things. There was awareness of them all happening at the same time. Ordinarily, we're either not aware of what we're doing or that we're thinking or that we're hearing at all, or we're maybe aware of one thing. So, um, yes, that, that is oh, uh, one of the things that happens with this practice. Uh, and it, it's one of the uh, places that we're kind of... It's, a, it's not like that in itself is a goal, but that being in that state and having that view allows certain insights to come about, right? So that view in itself is a non-attached view, right? Because to be able to be aware of all those things, that they're happening, means that you're not caught up in one of them, you know. As if you're just caught up in a thought, you're not hearing anything, you know. And if you're just listening to something, you're not noticing that you're also thinking about it. You know, but when you're noticing, oh, all that's happening. So what's happening in that process is there's a shift of orientation from an I am experiencing or this is happening to me to this is happening. So you are oriented from the place of pure awareness rather than from the place of self. And so seeing that being able to view your experience from the place of pure awareness, or maybe it's not that pure, but you know, from a place of awareness rather than of self, then reveals to you that all this stuff that you tend to identify with doesn't really belong to you and isn't really you. It's, this is the insight, one of the insights that comes from that, that you see, oh, that's stuff is just happening. It's kind of, it's happening independent of me, but what is it, me, what's me here? Is, is consciousness me, or is the, or my thoughts me? And it, this is, of course, one of the great questions, spiritual questions. But, um, so it, it gives us this opportunity to really question and see through our ordinary way 
of understanding reality, understanding ourselves and understanding life and all that's happening. That's a very powerful thing. It's really delightful that you that you had that just through meditating. You know, I mean, just coming here and sitting for half an hour. And th- these things open up at different times for different people, you know. And, and um, so if anybody's jealous, you know, go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's enough to say about that. Is that, is that kind of answer for you, give you a sense of that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so uh, let's take, uh, oh, do you, you have a question? I, I just observed something. Okay. That when we were starting to meditate, my mind was just everywhere and all over the place. Right. And I heard those chimes outside of the bells. The right, up, up the hill. And it went four times, and that just drew me in. Uh-huh, yeah, beautiful. And then I just relaxed and yeah. really meditated. Yeah. Yeah, the, so, right, so, um, obviously the bell, bells are a great, you know, an ancient uh, tool for calling people to awareness. And, you know, when you think of the great cathedrals in Europe or in the temples in Asia, bells have always been used. And it's, it does, it does, they do seem to kind of resonate, if you'll pardon the redundancy, um, for people and touch something in us. That uh, you know, kind of awakens you, and it's the the beauty and the and the somehow that uh, there's something timeless about hearing that echoing down the canyon. Certainly, I mean, I I love listening to the bell at the end of a meditation. It's sometimes the sweetest moment of the meditation, and besides the fact that it's like okay, it's over. <laughs> you know, but, um, and and in when we teach uh, meditation to children, it's the first thing we use. We use the bell. We we ask the children. We say, "Listen to the sound of the bell." And when you can't hear it anymore, raise your hand. So, with a five-year-old, that means they're going to be quiet for like thirty seconds, <laughs> and they're going to be aware of listening. So it teaches them this very ba- simple idea of mindfulness. In Plum Village in, in France, in, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, you know, center and community, they bell- ring bells at random times throughout the day, and everyone is uh, supposed to stop and take three breaths and just come back to themselves. So there's actually apps for that now. Mm-hmm. I have a friend uh, who has that app on his phone. We were hanging out, and he's like, oh. So I, I just really breathe. I go, okay, good. Okay, can we get, you know, we got to breathe fast because we got to get through this. Ah, just kidding. Thank you. So let's take a little break and, uh, you know, greet each other, uh, name tag or not, and uh, we'll come back in a little while and talk about step two and three. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.